Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you, even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. It's time again for more KDE apps. This one starts with a C, Caligra Plan. I thought we were out of Caligra, but they snuck in one last package outside of the Caligra package, simply called Caligra Plan. This isn't going to take much time because Caligra Plan is not a project that is 100% done, apparently. I don't know the exact history of Caligra Plan, but I think, I suspect that this used to be a module in contact that has been shifted over to Caligra, and I don't know that it is completely migrated yet. Because at least in my configuration, I'm not seeing any notion of a calendaring ability in Caligra plan. I have contact installed, I have contact active, in fact, but I just I can't get the scheduling section of plan to work. So I'll talk a little bit about plan, but I can't talk about it all, because... Apparently, it, it isn't all quite there. So, Caligra Plan is the project planning, and you, you can you can see the... There's a tutorial for this, userbase.kde.org slash plan. It, it talks about Caligra Plan. It talks about how to build a project that you are managing and planning, how to assign it to a specific calendar so that you can track the progress of that, uh, of each task and so on. But I'll back up. Caligra Plan is a planning a project management software. And if you've never used a project management software, then that might not mean a whole lot to you, but I've and, and I don't usually use project management software necessarily, but I've I've been around various uh, industries that that use them quite a lot. So, project management, that that concept, that that idea that something needs to be planned out is it's an all-encompassing concept. I mean, it really is. It's it's big. It, it encompasses a lot of different things, a lot of different disciplines, a lot of different industries. You see it everywhere, whether or not we even call it project management. I mean, certainly to you, it might mean one thing. To me, it might mean another. And to me, in fact, this year, it means one thing, whereas two, uh, three years ago, it meant another thing. And then three years further, it meant something different yet again. Right now, to me, it, it's, it's the a project management would be really about how, how a group of people get work done toward, toward building a, a, a certain, you know, one, one singular sort of body of work. Previously, it was, actually, previously, it was the same. Okay, so I lied, but a different software. And then previously, previously, it was about film planning, like how do you, or actually post-production planning, how do you make sure that all the shots that need to get done for a film get done? And then before that, I'm sure it would have been something else. So I think depending on your current situation, your current role in life and or hobby and or work, project management could mean something different. But they all tend to have something more or less in, uh, in, in common which is that you might have a goal, and usually if there's a goal, there's uh, some notion of a, of a deadline or a target date. And in order to 
get that thing that you want done by that time, you have to allot resources to it. Whether that resource is just your own your own attention, your own labor, your own effort, or you're coordinating a bunch of people to come together to do, or, or maybe not even to come together. Maybe maybe it's just a bunch of different people have to build different parts of a thing. So you could think of it, I mean, for instance, yes, software planning would be project management, developing a software, getting the UI designers in there, uh, getting people to actually construct what the UI designer has has designed in terms of actual visuals, and then you need the the logic behind all of that to make the application run. All those different components need to come together and happen by your target date. Art projects are the same way. You have a, a bunch of different things that need to sort of happen in succession or sometimes at the same time, and you have to make sure that those are going to happen and that you're not expending more of your budget or more of your uh, finite resources than you have available. But it could also be something like building a house or planning a wedding or a birthday party or whatever. Things need to be planned, and Caligra Plan is attempting to be the application in which you could sort all of that stuff out, look at it, get overviews, and then track the progression. Unfortunately, the component for the calendaring does seem to be missing right now, so I cannot go through the part that I guess is maybe arguably one of the most important things, but I can at least say that when you open up Plan, you get a three-panel view, you get new projects, you get existing projects, and you get an offer for an introduction. You can create a new project, and it's not just saving a file, it's a big form that you have to fill out, five different tabs, but it's manageable. Uh, you have to name the project, so maybe example project. Manager, Klaatu, just give myself a promotion. Earliest start date, you can set that to whatever date you think this project is going to start at the earliest, latest, finish, same thing except the opposite end. Description, you can give your project a description, blah, blah. Documents, you can attach documents to this. I imagine these are sort of like specification documents, requirements, things like that. That's what I would sort of imagine people attaching to this, but I couldn't be sure, couldn't find a whole lot of detail on that in the tutorial. I mean, to be fair, I couldn't get very far in the tutorial because the calendaring component is not present on the application that I'm looking at. Then there's a tab for work packages. Work packages, from what I understand, is part of the calendaring component, but I wasn't able to... I seem to be running into a circular dependency thing here where I can add a work package to my project settings, but not until I have a work package, and I can't open a work package in plan work package until I have created a project. So I'm not exactly sure where the work package comes from. And then there's a final tab called ta ta task modules, which I know nothing about. Once you get past that, you're in the planning interface, and this is where you create tasks. That's your your, your basic element of, of this project planning framework that plan provides you are tasks. So you can add a task. Well, there's, there's tasks and then there's milestones, um, but tasks are the individual bite-sized pieces, or, or at least meal-sized pieces, of, of things that need to get accomplished. And once all of those things get accomplished, then you have a completed project. The Add Task button is in the top toolbar, so you click that. Now you'll notice that there's a little badge on that, so you can click and hold to add a milestone. You add a task. Each task can have several different attributes, 
And this is kind of where it starts to break down, unfortunately, because one of the most important attributes, which bizarrely to me is not actually in the default view, is the percent completed. Unfortunately, there's no way to update the percent completed of the task, because that, as far as I can tell, depends on calendaring, scheduling work, and completing work. And as I've said, that doesn't seem to be part of this plan interface. It is in the documentation, it is not in the actual application that I'm seeing on my screen right now. So I don't know how you're supposed to advance any task. So as I said, you could you can create tasks, you can assign them to people, you can allocate a certain resource, you can assign a calendar to it, you can tell it that it's going to be um, tracked on the on on the base calendar, apparently, is, is the, the one option that I do have, or none. Um, so I'm not really sure where that calendar exists. It is not in my contact. You can estimate hours, you can do a, an optimistic estimation by percentage, so let's say you estimate eight hours if you estimate, or if you rather say uh, that your optimistic view would be uh, minus 75, then from that eight hours you're, you're saying optimistically it could be done in two hours. Could take up to eight. Pessimistic view is, uh, for instance, if you say 100, then that's eight plus eight, so that's 16, 100% greater than what you estimated, so 16 hours. You can assign a risk factor to it, none or low or high. You can assign who's responsible for the task, so it might be the person doing the task, it might be their manager, and then provide a description. All tasks can also have subtasks, and, and that's useful. I, I worked at a uh, when I was working on a uh, book that I was working on, there was a project management uh, application or uh, website or something. Yeah, it was a website. Um, and every task was a chapter, and then every within each task there was a subtask of of each section, I think, or something like that. Or, or maybe it was the the work predicted that to, that needed to get done in order to make that chapter a reality. So th- that sort of makes sense. And I've I've worked like on in in films. Uh, you, a lot of times, each task would be a, a shot, so not a whole scene, but the, the shot that needs to be having it needs to have the effect applied to it. And then a subtask would be, well, it needs to the, the the thing that needs to happen to this shot needs to be modeled first. It needs to be maybe rigged if it's a creature. It needs to be animated. It needs to be textured. It needs to be lit needs to be composited well not 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 in that order but all of those different things had to happen so they were all part of that shot and once all of the subtasks were done then the shot was done and then once all the shots were done the project was done you can link tasks together so if there's something that you know one thing cannot happen without the other or they need to happen concurrently. You can link them together, and you are supposed to be able to mark a status. But once again, I I was not able to ever gain access to the status report part of plan. There there's a column for it that I've added, but I, I can't seem to update it. So a little bit um a little bit of a of a mixed bag on this one, I'm afraid. And like I say, there is this uh, plan work package handler component to to Caligra plan but when I try to open a a, a plan it, it it tells me that I'm not supposed to open a plan in this application I'm supposed to open a work project and I don't know how to generate a work project it doesn't seem to be something that I can 
export or save from from Caligra plan. And I, I do think that at one point there was a component to contact that did this job. So I, I do wonder whether it's in the middle of migrating potentially. Let's move on to Cantor. Cantor. Cantor is the is a mathematical package. According to the description file, Cantor is a front-end to several existing mathematical software such as R, Sage, and Maxima. Cantor offers a worksheet as a nice GUI for all those backends and is not targeted to kids, but to scientists. There you go. No children allowed. This is um, an interesting application to me in the sense that I've never seen anything like it. Closest thing I can kind of think of is a Jupyter notebook, and even that, it's probably it could be a superficial similarity for all I know. Either way, when you start Cantor, you get a selection screen so that you can choose the backend that you want Cantor to communicate with, and the options are staggering. I didn't realize how many there would be. You have to install. I mean, so out of the just off the out of the box. There's K-Algebra and Python. Those are your choices. That's kind of expected, I or not not surprising. You know, that, that seems reasonable to me. But the description said something about Sage and Octave and, and whatever else it said. So, uh, Maxima, whatever that is. So I took the liberty of installing some of those. And uh, in the course of doing that, I also happened to install, not for this, I, I was installing Lua separately for something else. And and then I, I guess I must have pulled in some Python packages along the way, not with Lua, but with some of these other things. Because when I opened it back up for the second time after I'd done the installs, there was K-Algebra, K-Algebra Lua, Maxima, Octave, Python, calculate spelt with a Q, and then R, the the famous language for statistics and stuff, Sage, and Scilab. And, and that's just, I mean, I, I anticipated some of those, but that's a lot more than I realized was going to be available. So that was kind of interesting. So I'm going to just, oh, I see, Lua, some of the requirements are not fulfilled with Lua. Okay, I was going to say I was going to arbitrarily choose Lua. Here's Python... Sage, not not fully installed, I guess, R. So, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it actually matters all that much to me, but since I did do a little bit with K-Algebra, I guess I'll start with K-Algebra. And Cantor launches, and it actually looks suspiciously familiar to me, in a way. It does, like I say, it does look a little bit like a Jupyter note, Notebook combined with, um, I think it might have been Scilab, actually, is the one I've I've used uh, before, I think, or something like that. Something about a spider, or something spidery, maybe. I don't know. Um, so yeah, there there's a, a variable manager on the right, or on on the right for me. I could, of course, move this because this is still cute, and I can move panels around in cute. So um, there's there's a variable manager which is a lot like in K algebra. So I'm assuming that's probably probably straight out of there, honestly. And then, um, so you're at a prompt, and you can do stuff like the the one mathematical function I do know, sine, S-I-N, S-I-N, yeah, sine. And then let's do the sine of, I don't know, eight, and then press not return. Doesn't doesn't like return, because unlike a spreadsheet, uh, as I side-eye Caligra sheets, uh, you can do multiple lines in, in, in a in 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 your little what is it called a formula 
Is that what they're called? I don't know what they're called. Um, expression, I guess. Evaluate worksheet is the thing that I'm looking for. So once you have typed in a, a formula, I guess is what it would be called, then you can click Evaluate Worksheet, and it gives you an answer. So the sign of 8 is 0.989358246623. Now we all know. And does that get assigned to a variable? No, it doesn't look like it. That's interesting. No, no, that, of course it wouldn't. Okay, yeah, never mind. Um, or I could type in, I don't know, can I just type in the word pi and get pi back? Yes, you can. So these are the expressions that we've already learned from k-algebra, you know, the two expressions that we learned from k-algebra, except you're you're entering them as functions here in, in Cantor. And there are a bunch of different... so. Your, your work area is a worksheet, is what it's called, and there's a bunch of different options for that. You can insert latex um, entries, markdown entries, text entries, insert an image. I don't know why, but maybe if you had graphed something, maybe you would want to use that as a reference. And, and I gather that this would be sort of a, really a living document. Again, I'm just kind of equating it to Jupyter Notebooks here. I'm assuming that it's kind of a living document where you could go in and kind of confirm that the sign of 8 is indeed that number, um, and then you could... I wonder how you do assign a variable here. Could I just say, like, n equals the sign of of 8? Is that possible? So n, n becomes that, but it doesn't get added to the variable manager. And then could I just say n plus 8 again or something? No, I can't do that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how to get... I don't know how to recall my variables. I guess I could at least do um, e plus 8. Could I do that? Because e looks like it's a variable value. Oh, that worked. Okay, so maybe I have to manually add my variables here. That seems weird, though. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's how you do it. I don't know. I've never used anything like this, and I don't know what I would use it for. I don't even know what people use it for. But it is a, a sort of a an interactive system for entering formulas and equations and words like that that I barely even know they technically mean. Um, and that's cool. And and like I say, the backends available for it is really, truly impressive. And I'd never heard of that before, uh, Cantor. And I've yet I've heard of every single one almost of the backends available for it. So the fact that this exists as a front end to R and Sage and Scilab and Python and Octave, okay, Maxima and Calculate I had not heard of, but Lua and KAlgebra, the fact that this is a, a front end for that is kind of cool because I have had people ask what what's available on open source for statistics or what's available on open source for you know in, instead of um, what's that the big the the big famous one whatever that big famous one is um, and and I always just say well there's um, NumPy and Octave I think those are the two that I I kind of typically associate oh and R obviously but I mean R I I feel kind of a raw thing to say, just well, just program in R. Whereas Cantor, I mean, it's got that front end. It's it, it's sort of an IDE for for your math work. I feel like that's kind of cool. I'm I guess maybe a little bit surprised that there aren't as many sort of prompts as I would expect out of like a literal IDE. And even K algebra, I remember if I typed in. The, the letter S, it would show me the functions that were available that started with the letter S. And that was really helpful. And that's not here, which kind of does surprise me. I would have thought that that would be something that you might want. But then again, maybe 
maybe the expectation here is different. So, you know, it, it might just be that if someone were, is working in this, then they, they're expecting exactly what they're getting here. I, I don't know, because like I said, I've never used anything like this before. And, and I don't know what people who, who use these kinds of programs would would want, would need, or expect. So I'm not critiquing it, because I don't understand it. Okay, next up is Servicia, and this is a really funny one, this, this application. Servicia is one of those applications that I always uninstall or don't install at all, because it is a front end to CVS. We've talked about CVS in a previous episode. Uh, I did a couple of demos of CVS, and this is a graphical front end for that. I don't know whether this is in frequent use now. I don't know whether even the people who do use CVS now would want the graphical front end. What I do know is that it's great to have a graphical front end. It really is. It's really cool to have just the just just that option being available to people. And I can't say that I think I would use a graphical front end for um, version management myself, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't want someone else to be able to, obviously. So Servicia existing at one point in time would have been very cool. I'm sure it's very cool still, but just because CVS has largely fallen out of favor, and I say largely with lots of little caveats because there are projects still using CVS. I'm, I'm aware of this. So this is probably actually still relevant to someone. To someone, this is still a thing that they, they could really, really use. I could see myself using it at one point a long time ago. If, if I were where I was now, but we were like, I don't know, 15 years in the past, or maybe 10 or whatever it would have been. No, surely 15. Um, I mean, Git is ancient now. So we would have been a long time in the past. And if Servicia had existed, I can imagine myself showing some contributors to a project or to some task how to use Servicia because that was easier than trying to introduce them to here's what a terminal is, here's how a terminal works, and so on. This, you could simply do all of the things that you would expect to be able to do. You can create a repository, check out a repository. Remember, check out is different in CVS. Then in Git, you can list repositories. You can uh, create branches and delete branches and tag, d- delete tags and, and all of those things. Edit files, lock a file, unlock a file. All of the, the things that you can do in CVS, you can do with Servicia. It's a very old school looking application. Doesn't look like it's been updated anytime, anytime recently. Uh, I mean, in terms of sort of the, the, the chrome of it, you know, the, the sort of the look and feel of it. But it is, it's great to have those kinds of options for technical processes. Because sometimes you have someone who wants to do a thing and just isn't prepared to spend the two years that it might take to sort of get up and running with what is a file path, what, what's a file path? Um, what is a terminal and how do I, how, what's a relative path versus an absolute path and how do I, you know, it's just, it's too much, too much. Servicia makes it a little bit more approachable in much the same way that Git Cola makes Git more approachable for some users. Very important to have these things, I think. It's also very important, very important around halfway mark of an episode to go get coffee. <laughs>
coffee. I've got it. You've got it. Let's look at Digicam. We're out of the seas, by the way. Coffee was our last topic. Sea coffee. Um, D for Digicam. That's where we are. So that's that's progress. Digicam is a really cool application. I have used it on and off for just years and years and years. I think almost as long as I've been using KDE. It's just one of those applications that I kind of keep coming back to, and I keep meaning to stick with it, and honestly, it's just not a thing that I need to stick with. It's it's just not... My workflow is not to go out and take a bunch of photos to come back and to look at them and to grade them and to, to organize them. It's just not what I do. It's still a cool application, though. Digicam, 7.1.0, I think, is what we're at. Is that correct? Or am I just making that number up? Digicam 7.5.0. When you first launch it for the first time, you have to kind of configure it maybe a little bit. I mean, a lot of it's kind of intuitive or or derived from sort of the obvious choices. Whether that applies to you or not is a completely different question. I normally go a little bit different on, on the choices. So, for instance... Right now, it's it's asking me to ch- select a, a folder for pictures. Well, the problem with the word pictures, in my mind, is that it is that, that just refers to any image. So a picture is a screenshot, a picture is a photograph, a picture is a funny graphic that you download from the internet, a, a drawing that you did. You know, th- those are all pictures. Many of those you don't want in your Digicam. So what I do is I create myself a folder called photographs in my home directory and that's where i put photographs and specifically usually i think yeah i think i think generally it's it's always a photograph that i would want digicam or darktable or whatever i happen to be using that day um to look at you can then um fig- configure your database um backend it defaults to sqlite i will say that I have never had a problem with that, but at the same time, I, I just I haven't been amassing photos like some you know a, a, a habitual photographer would probably amass a lot more than me, and maybe SQLite would not be optimal for that. I'm not sure. I don't know. And uh, choices for RAW, I don't actually I don't shoot in RAW, so it doesn't matter. And metadata storage to files, add information to files. I like adding metadata to the files. That they that they are metadataing about, and you can choose whether to load a reduced version of the image for your thumbnails or to just load the image. Once again, I think that the reduced version would probably be smart if you had a huge library. I do not, so I have been generally just loading the image. You can also specify how you want the image an, an image to be opened when you click on it. You can either open it as a preview or in the editor of of Digicam. That's very much, I think, up to your own workflow. If if you know that you're going to be using Digicam to retouch every single photograph that you take, then maybe it's just faster for you to open it up in an editor. But if you're more just kind of like eyeballing the photograph for quality, and maybe you're only going to actually edit one out of five, then maybe it's better for you to do just a preview. You can show tooltips or not show tooltips, and then it's set to go. It does create a little database uh, file in your um, in your target directory, in, in the in, or rather in your source directory. I, mean, I guess it kind of becomes a, a, a target directory as well for the database stuff. Um, 
so specifically, I'm just looking really quick here. Digicam4.db now exists and didn't before. Recognition.db exists. Similarity.db exists. Thumbnails-digicam.db exists. I really quite like that level of transparency. I, I, I get very sort of irrationally nervous when an application keeps data about st the stuff that I've handed it, but I don't know where that data exists. I mean, a lot of times it's just in dot local slash share slash whatever, but I still get I get uneasy about sort of not keeping, not knowing where those files are. I really do quite like it when it just puts it into the, the same place, kind of everything goes into one place, and I, I, I quite like that. And obviously if you got rid of those databases, you would be losing not not your photographs, but information about some of your of your photographs. Okay, so you get um, you, you you can look at I'm, I'm in the wrong view here. You, you you can look at your thumbnails, like all of the f the the images in your directory, by clicking on the thumbnail. I want to call it a tab. It's not really a tab. It's 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 a button actually. And clicking on that, I'm gonna lose the side panel here. There's a lot of side panels in Digicam. There are literally tabs on both the left and the right, so it can be a little bit overwhelming. It is uh, very much kind of a KDE 3.5 feeling layout, but I quite like it. It's very comfortable, um, but, but there is a lot, so you have to kind of pace yourself. Um, so clicking on thumbnails gives you a view of, of, each, of each photograph that is in pictures. So it's, it's really just you're, you're looking at dolphin, essentially, um, with thumbnails. That's all that is. Now you can click on a photograph, and when you... When you left-click on it, it... Oh, actually, or right-click. Uh, when you left-click on it, it opens, because I told it to, it opens up in the little preview um, uh, screen, or, or panel, I should say. And you can do rudimentary things there. For instance, rotate left, rotate right, show face tags, add a face tag if there's a person in it. So here's a picture with a person. Let me just show a face tag. Okay, there are no face tags. I'm going to add a face tag. And select this face, and then I can label it. I don't actually know who this person is, because it's a sample photograph that I got off of the internet, so I'm just going to put person. Now there's a person in the photograph. Now you can also um, right-click on the preview, and right, I guess you could probably do this somewhere else. So there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of sort of data that you can do about each photograph. So there are labels, and uh, there are little flags that you can assign, depending on whether you've sort of accepted this photograph as the final photograph or not. So there's a pick, a rejected, a pending, or an accepted item. Uh, there are color tags that you can assign to photographs. So it's it's kind of all over the place. It's, it's quite, quite nice, actually. Um, and each photograph, each thumbnail, if you roll over it, it has um, five stars. So you can rank photographs just based on, on your personal preference. Is this a good photograph? Is this one of the better photographs, is this not a good photograph, and so on. And now I used to be complete, almost just sort of binary about my choices. I would give everything, or I would give, if I liked something, it got five stars. If I didn't like it, it got one star. And that's how I managed it. But now that there's a, there, there's also these little picks that you can, you can do. That's really sort of frees up the sort of the variable, um, the, the level of, of variation in these stars for me. I can actually make 
sort of middle of the road judgment calls. Like, yeah, it's an okay photo. It's not terrible, but it's not the best thing I've ever taken. You can kind of judge based on more like, you know, how you actually feel about it. Right-clicking on a thumbnail gives you a bunch of options. You can do things like, uh, well, you could open it in uh, an external editor. You can scan it for faces. You can find similar photographs. You can add it to a light table so that you can kind of compare a bunch of different ones sort of in an isolated environment. You can edit them to some degree yourself within within um, within Digicam. So there's there's a bunch of different things that you can do. And, you know, the more sort of you hang out with your photos, the more information you gather about them. You know, the more likely you are to tag them with things. And you can start filtering them by... By, by photos with people in them, or photos that I like, or photos that I picked, or photos that I didn't like, and so on. So that's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of value to kind of getting comfortable with Digicam or whatever um, photographic light sort of light table digital darkroom application you're using, getting comfortable with it, and then just really actually using it often and 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 getting to to know your photographs. So it, it has a, a a pretty good image editor built in. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that it, for instance, you know, it doesn't have like advanced compositing built in, but if you're just looking to, well, certainly enhance uh, the, the colors or the contrast or the color balance of a photograph. And I mean, there's a heck of a lot more too. I mean, there's, um, so if you, if you, click on, there's a tab called Tools, and that opens up a side panel, and one of the main tools is an image editor. So if you're on a photograph, and you click Image Editor, then it opens that photograph in, in, a, in its own little window for, for image editing. And you've got things like, well, certainly rotating and flipping, and correcting, or um, setting an aspect ratio, or cropping, or uh, free rotation, resizing, all that other stuff. You have the basics like red eye reduction, noise reduction, auto correction, blur, sharpen, things like that. But you also have a full, a full range of like adjusting. Oh, and metadata stuff too. I forgot about that. Uh, a full range of tools like um, adjusting the uh, um, the black and white levels, the brightness, contrast, gamma, channel mixer, color balance color negative, color space converter, color spaces, you can look at them in different color spaces, uh, convert to 8 bits, convert to 16 bits, curve adjustment, that's my favorite. Curve adjustment is nice because you can you can zero in on just luma values, in this case, I mean you can actually do you can do color channels as well. I, I tend to use it first for luma, for the black and the white, and every photograph has sort of a, um, well every digital image has kind of a, a, well, a curve, I guess, but a profile. And it, it tends to, it sort of starts out natively, naturally, as just a linear progression of whatever the darkest pixel in the photograph is on up to the brightest pixel. And, and it's, it's a completely linear progression from left to right, from dark to bright. But what you can do by adjusting the curve of that is you can cause more shades of gray to appear black than naturally appears in the photograph. And naturally, I mean digitally naturally. So the photo as presented to you has this 
progression from dark black to 80% charcoal gray to 50% gray to we're getting into the brights now and now we're really really bright and there's no data there at all it's just all all pixels are on we have a white so you could crush the the grays so that rather than looking gray they look really kind of almost you know not not totally black i mean usually you don't want total black or total white in a in a digital photo that's either really really hot or just really really just dead you know there's there's just no variation in those extremes but you can crush the grays so that they appear darker and you can cause if you want if it's appropriate it's not always appropriate sometimes you can cause the the brights to sort of to be brighter this particular photo actually would not benefit from that so i'm not going to do that i am crushing the darks though that's fine that's bringing i mean the effect is essentially you're 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 compressing information and it seems like a bad thing if if you sort of think about it but actually you're just you're you're not necessarily losing stuff you're just shifting stuff and the reason that looks typically better to you and me is because celluloid film has which is what most of us are used to um and and our eyes uh, as well <laughs> the actual thing that we see with um that has a much wider spectrum than digital imagery and so when we look at something that's faithfully digitally rendered according to what that little digital chip was able to detect it looks rather washed out to us usually or not washed out but sort of um it looks kind of flat and so when you mess with curves you're able to kind of accentuate make things a little bit darker and richer or a little bit brighter and and they they pop a little bit and it can make a world of difference really and that's that's just adjusting again the luma of of the image you can do the same thing with every single color channel so you can go into your reds and maybe you want more red in the mid tones sort of in the middle middle ground of your photograph that's pretty common actually if there are humans in it you usually want to punch up that middle because that's where human skin generally falls is around the middle uh some people are lighter some people are darker so it might be a little bit off but generally speaking it's kind of like right there in the middle and humans like to look cheerful and and full of life and kind of want to give them a little bit of red um not much just a tiny bit just to bring that that little bit of spark of life out a little bit uh and there's green in this photograph and all the greens in this photo are occurring in the it just so happens in the bright sections so i could possibly this is risky but i'm going to risk it i'm going to bring up no it's not it no 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 ugly ugly bad yeah the greens in this are actually so so bright that they almost they're essentially yeah they're way up there in the spectrum so i'm going to um oh that's much better yeah okay so i i wish you could see what i saw so that was cool um yeah so with curves i mean i you can just target you can target things so precisely and then just adjust them so it's it's really amazing and i'll click okay to that and that's digicam. Uh digicam has a bunch of import options. They're a little bit outdated, I feel. Uh you can import from like Google Photos. Is that a thing anymore? I don't think that's a thing. Or maybe it is. Maybe I'm thinking of Picasa as not being a thing. Um remote storage, a scanner, 
Uh, Smug Mug, which I think bizarrely I mentioned a little while ago, is something that I thought was open source, but now I'm not sure. Uh, you can also export to a bunch of different things, like all the social medias to IM Imgur, IMGUR, MediaWiki, and PyWigo, Py. PyWigo, PyWigo, the it's a Python photo gallery. I'm pretty sure. Lots and lots of different options. All, all the popular social medias and things like that. So yes, there's quite a lot to look at here. There's a lot to be done in Digicam, and like I say, it's 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 good for you know kind of a couple of things. I mean, it's it's good for the it's good for for organizing what you have, and I think so many of us have a lot more photos than we know what to do with. So, so it is good for that, and it's also really good for 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 editing your photos. I mean, if if you're one of those people who just maybe you get overwhelmed by GIMP and you just don't know what to do with all those different selection tools and and all the different filters and things like that, well, maybe something. I mean, I don't know that Digicam is necessarily worlds simpler than GIMP. I think it might just offset the 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 chaos. You know, instead of instead of having a lot of tools and filters you you have a lot of different panels and a lot of tabs but you know it's it's not it isn't like um one of those what, what's the well it's like it's not gwyn view it, it's more complex than that and we'll get to gwyn view eventually and maybe that's the tool that you're looking for because that's not too shabby either but digicam i think might be if not if not necessarily simpler than gimp maybe more focused than gimp because gimp i mean at the end of the day it can do a lot of compositing stuff that a lot of people just don't need if you're not going to remove uh, a trash can from the background of that photo uh, by you know like by you re- by removing that object and then resynthesizing the texture that it that over it and all those other things you know or cutting someone out and pasting them in somewhere else in the photo or whatever uh, if you're not doing that then GIMP could be too much for you and maybe Digicam would be the the smarter option and certainly for organizing photos I think Digicam is really nice. Because it might not be completely organized in your big gargantuan photo folder, but once you open Digicam, it all comes together, and you can filter it by photos with people, photo with trees, similar photos, and all those other things um, that that could make Digicam kind of you know it can it can really help you get a get a grasp of what exactly you have available, what you've got hanging out on your hard drive, and that can be really quite liberating honestly because i mean when i do use digicam it's it's often because there's an event that i did you know whether it's a a, a holiday a trip that i go on holiday or something or a tech conference or, or or just a photo shoot of of something that was cool and you just have so much and yes you can look at it in dolphin yes you can look at it in gwenview you can flip through them but the kind of the iteration over the photos and saying yes this is the best now wait, this is the best. Okay, so this is the second best. This is the really best. Ooh, this is even better. You know, and you keep going back and forth, and you start, and you sort of rate each photo based on sort of what you think, and then maybe you go in and edit a couple of them, and and then you find out, well, it's not that great even after editing. I thought it was going to be really good, but it's a little bit blurry, or it's a little bit lackluster, or whatever. And and finally, you kind of filter it down into the really the the top picks. And then maybe you're done with Digicam for a while, or maybe not. It just depends on how, you know, your relationship with your photographs. But Digicam is, is a lot of fun. You should try it out. If you take a lot of photos, you you, you owe it to yourself to try it out, honestly. It's 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 an essential tool. It, or it could be an essential tool to you if you have a lot of photographs that you actually want to have sort of 
an awareness of and a relationship with, try Digicam. It, it can really, really help you get your mind around what digital assets you actually have. And, and it can help you optimize them, too. It can make them look better. Digicam. It's been around for ages, too, so I feel really good about sort of its longevity. Okay, so that's Digicam. We're, we're, we're into the Ds. That's an exciting progression. Next time, we're going to talk about Dolphin and Dragon Dr. Conky. Dolphin and Dragon, I know quite well, so I'm excited to talk about those. Dr. Conky, I'm excited to learn all about with you, dear listener, next week. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open relief in work, but he finds it hard to concentrate.